This podcast was recorded on December 14, 2020. Although the region has been hit hard by the coronavirus, news of vaccines arriving and the resilient spirit of healthcare workers and residents are providing some light at the end of the tunnel. And joining me today to discuss the vaccines and what we've learned about the virus so far are Salinas Valley Memorial Healthcare System President and CEO Pete Delgado and Carla Spencer. She's the Director of Emergency Services and Associate Chief Nursing Officer at SVMH. This is Ask the Experts, a podcast from Salinas Valley Memorial Healthcare System. I'm Scott Webb. And Pete and Carla, so great to be back on with you. Just wish we weren't talking about COVID-19 again. But we're also talking about shipments of the coronavirus vaccine arriving in California, which is exciting. And plans are currently underway for the vaccination of healthcare workers and the most vulnerable in the community. So Pete, what do we want the community to know about the vaccines and what do we need to keep doing in order to eradicate COVID-19? Because of technology advances, we've got a vaccine that's about 90 to 95% effective. I mean, that is huge. The regular flu is about 60% effective. And so that's a, a huge uh, advancement and uh, very high effectiveness, which gives us the confidence that we've got the right vaccine. And what we want everyone to do is keep doing what they're doing, uh, washing their hands frequently, wearing a mask, uh, went out in the public, social distancing, and not gathering with people outside their own home. So, Pete, what have we learned as a healthcare system about the coronavirus in the last 10 months? We've learned a lot. There's still a lot we don't know. But what have we learned so far? This virus is sneaky, nasty, and sometimes deadly, but it can be outsmarted. It is unpredictable, and then Carla can respond to the the clinical implications. Like Pete said, it is a very sneaky virus. If I think back, and I know, Scott, we had early on when COVID-19 started, I think one of the first podcast we did was you and I. And thinking back to that time and now, we've learned so, so much. However, we've also learned that it is not as straightforward as we thought it would be at the beginning. And where we were looking at just a few signs and symptoms for COVID, that really morphed to something much larger. At this point, what we know is anybody that comes in the door could have it. So we've changed a lot of our practice with our staff just to make sure that we are practicing the utmost safety for our staff, for our patients. And so we've just learned a lot over the last 10 months regarding the virus alone and have tailored our practice to what we know. The organization as a whole, I think we've learned a lot that uh, remote work does work for some departments and not so much for others as we we try to test out different modes of getting the work done. For one thing, we learned that management needs to have boots on the ground to properly manage, mentor, direct, and inspire the frontline folks that really need the attention. Yeah, definitely. And I was just thinking back, Carla, to that first one that we did and how much we thought we knew and then came to realize we didn't know. Pete, in these last 10 months, what are some of the changes the hospital has had to make to better support staff and community? Looking at the work that needs to get done, a number of the departments are working remotely and and we're finding that we're getting the work done. The business office, the accountants, and a lot of the non-clinical functions can be done remotely. And then we've introduced new types of, of activity to help reduce stress. 
We've introduced a tranquility room that's available to all the staff. Just give them some time for quiet time and a break from work. Psychologists are now proactively rounding on the nursing units to talk to staff to help them through some of the, their challenges on the unit and at home. You got spiritual providers and they're having a proactively rounding on the nursing unit staff and physicians both have access to counseling services because it is a, a very taxing and very intense services. And after nine, 10 months uh, without any end in sight, it is uh, exhausting. But you know, fortunately, we have light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, it is good to see that light uh, off in the distance there at the end of the tunnel, the vaccine. Everybody's excited about that. Carla, what have been some of the changes in the processes in the emergency department that you've had to make, whether it's medical procedures, visitor restrictions, just the patient experience? challenging. I can speak for, you know, both the emergency department and the inpatient areas. It's so difficult when we have people in the hospital and their family members can't be with them. And this has been so hard on the staff as well, because we know as caregivers that your family is half of your support while you're there. And so we've had to overcome challenges with that. We've put into place iPads so that Family members could talk to their loved ones on the iPads and just doing FaceTime, utilizing WebEx. We've done all kinds of different things to keep that communication with our patients and their family members. It's definitely been difficult. Naturally, in certain circumstances, we do let family members in just depending on what's happening. But overall, that's been a hard thing. I think for healthcare in general, because most hospitals had to limit visiting for obvious reasons. And we worked through that. The last probably, I'd say, three, four months has all been focused on the staff resilience, like Pete said, and he spoke uh, very well about what we have been doing. But the staff have seen good and they have seen bad. And unfortunately, once patients are hospitalized and on ventilators, the mortality rate is very high, which means that we do oftentimes see people die. And it wears on staff because we have these patients in-house for many weeks and the staff get attached and it's a very difficult thing. So we've been focused on resilience with our staff and also doing event-based debriefs if a patient passes So doing things like that. The other thing we've been focused on, not only in the emergency department, but in the inpatient side, which is really coming to light now, is surge planning. We had a surge back in July and then it went down, but we didn't even know what was ahead of us (laughs) until it was here. And so we are in a significant surge right now, pretty much happened right after Halloween. And we expected to see this. I think people, they want to be with their family. They want to be with their friends. And we've done so much media outreach to get out there and say, please don't do that because it's oftentimes parents and grandparents and people with medical problems that then wind up getting the virus and then wind up having to be admitted. We saw it after Halloween. We definitely saw it after Thanksgiving. And so we have a pretty full house. So we're having twice daily meetings with the other hospitals in the county, working very close with the Monterey County Health Department, because we are neck deep in the surge right now. And so that's probably one of the biggest priorities is thinking outside the box. We're going to open a fourth unit thinking outside the box on how we could staff, where we put different types of patients. So it's just been very busy. 
Yeah, it has. And I know there's been a lot of highs and lows. There's been celebrations when coronavirus patients have gone home and a lot of lows. And it's difficult to be resilient. It's difficult to stay focused and stay positive because, as you say, patients are there. People get to know them, get to love them. And when you lose patients, it's very difficult, right? Right. And now that we're in this surge, is the staff, they've been working so hard for 10 months and people, I think we're all getting tired, right? And so it's just really keeping our team, taking care of each other, keeping each other safe. These are our big goals right now is keeping each other safe and giving that feedback, resilience, and really trying to do everything we can as an organization to keep our staff resilient. That's a big focus of ours right now. It really is so true. You and everybody else on the front lines, healthcare heroes. So Carla, during the last 10 months, who's been the most impacted by the coronavirus in terms of age and race in the community? And why is that? We've had patients in their 30s that are on ventilators and patients in their 80s that are on ventilators. It's very difficult to pinpoint one specific group. And that's when Pete talks about that the virus is very sneaky. It is very sneaky. I get asked this question all the time because of what I do, family members and friends, and they say, well, who's going to wind up in the hospital? And that's really hard to say. Because like I said, we have had patients that have medical problems and are in their 70s and 80s that come in, and then they're the ones that tend to do bad. But then we've also had people in their 30s that maybe have high blood pressure that have also done very bad. So it's very difficult to say and pinpoint exactly what it is. I would say if we had to say our largest subset, I would say is definitely elderly, more elderly people with lots of different medical problems. But you just don't know, unfortunately, who's going to come in the door and who's going to do worse than someone else. So it's, it's difficult to tell. Yeah, and I think that's why we've all been so eager, despite doing all the right things. It's really sneaky. It's like something out of a movie. It's like it's actively been fighting against healthcare workers and scientists and learning along the way. I don't want to be too dramatic, but that's how it feels. It does. It does. And we know that there's a certain degree, and I think this is what's really difficult for the the general population to understand is that there's a, a certain subset of patients that have very mild symptoms to no symptoms. And then what happens is that they might go to dinner with their parents or they might go to dinner with a sister who is has a lot of health problems and then they pass the virus along and then it's them, their family members, who are the ones that get worse, right? And so it's like a vicious cycle because, and that's why when we talk about and talk with the media and really urge people not to have family gatherings, even if you're gathering with your sister in our family, right? Which you would think, well, that's immediate family. I'm thinking for Thanksgiving, it was my husband, my two boys and and me, that's it, right? And we didn't let my my mother-in-law come over, my father-in-law. And That's a media family, but you just got to be so careful because you don't know if you're one of those asymptomatic carriers and now you've infected somebody who is not going to have the outcome you're going to have, right? And that's the dangerous part about it. And Pete, what has the healthcare system done to reach out to the most vulnerable in the community? That's kind of what we're talking about here is we know that there's a vulnerable population out there. So what has the whole healthcare system done to reach out to them? Early on when we 
canceled surgeries, elective surgeries, and the clinics were, were not getting the throughput that we were used to. We found ourselves, our volume went down. We found ourselves with about 200 employees, maybe a little bit more, that we didn't have enough work for. And we could have done like any other organization that has uh, implemented furlough or whatever, but uh, I know they wouldn't have found a job back in April, May, and June. And so what we did is we moved them to a call center just to keep track of those FTEs. And we asked the community, the nonprofits, if they needed any help. And sure enough, the demand was greater than the supply in this case. The Salvation Army, the senior citizens, we did some out, outgoing calls to make sure they were getting their medication, they had a support, and uh, the food bank, the ag industry. In this part of the country, there's about 75,000 to 100,000 harvesters come in from all over the world. And they live in conditions similar to Manhattan, on top of each other, and buses, they would bus them in and bus, busing them out. It was a prime a breeding ground for the virus, and so they needed help. And so we deployed nurses and clinicians out to these nonprofits and out in the field. There were, there were our nurses were there at five thirty, six thirty in the morning, educating the workers before they went out in the field how to keep safe at work and at home. And so, obviously, in the community, we got good feedback from the community. And, of course, our employees were very grateful that we were able to keep them on and providing the service to the community. We've done that, and we've done uh, patient testimonial videos to showcase all the good work that we've done. And the patient testimonials showcase that's where the rubber meets the road. This is where all the care gets done, and, and actually the patients are sharing their good stories. We've done social media outreaches in both languages. We've done a lot in the community, which we're very proud, and I think it, it made a big difference in the community. And Carla, you mentioned uh, the holidays and how there's been an uptick. And we know after every holiday, we've seen that, an uptick in infections and hospitalizations. And with Christmas right around the corner, what are you doing to prepare for the possible explosion of sick people, hospitalizations in early 2021? And how are the clinics preparing? Like I said, we've been really focused on surge planning. So we are preparing to open our fourth COVID unit. We have three units that are, are virtually full right now with us also holding patients in the emergency department. So we um, actually are just about done with everything that we need to do to open our fourth unit. So we will do that. And the other thing that is probably the most challenging is having enough staff to uh, staff these, to staff the different units, especially as you get more and more intensive care uh, type patients. So we're not alone. This is being experienced around the country with staffing, especially for ICU. And what we're doing is taking a very proactive approach on our staffing model. We developed a staffing model that would utilize nurses from other departments that have ICU skills. For example, with us canceling surgeries and elective surgeries, we have nurses that have ICU skills that could potentially help the ICU nurses in the COVID unit. So what we've spent the last month or so working on is what that surge plan is. And then having a plan that if we do get overloaded with patients, what our staffing model look like at different phases. 
So uh, we've done a lot of work with the leaders and the staff, done a lot of work around that so that we're ready if it does continue to explode the way it is now. And we're just trying to get staff from other areas. We've had nurses that have come out of retirement that uh, used to work in the organization that have uh, since come back to help us. We've also reached out to some of the area outpatient clinics, uh, surgery centers that have nurses that are ICU trained. So again, just taking a very proactive approach to foresee that we are going to get more patients, definitely, and be ready as best we can. You know that the surge is coming, right, Pete? And uh, how are you feeling about everything that your team is doing and preparing for that surge? Our goal is, of course, uh, to keep our our staff and our patients safe. And then the more patients uh, with uh, COVID that comes in within the four walls of the hospital makes it even more challenging. We are actively looking at some of the floors that can be converted into a COVID unit. You can't just move COVID patients into a med surge unit because it doesn't have built-in negative airflows. Most of them have positive airflows. So you have to adjust. You've got to put in portable equipment and turn that uh, basic med surge acute care bed into an, potentially an ICU bed. And so there's a, a lot of uh, infrastructure changes that we've got to initiate and make it safe for the staffing. Carla and, and the nurse directors have their hands full converting from a staffing ratio that we've been used to for many years into something much more aggressive to handle the, the patient load. We've got to be ready to expand because that all signs are pointing that we, we've got to do that. We are communicating. I mean, communication is like number one for all of our employees. If you're not filling in that information that our frontline folks need, they will fill it up with you. And it's usually uh, uh, a lot worse. And so you, we've got to be able to, to convey a well thought through implementation plan that's safe for them and safe for our patients. This is a little bit of a loaded question and we've covered some of this, but I want to give you each a chance to tell us again, what have we learned during this pandemic? What have we learned about ourselves, our system, the community? I'll have you go first, Carla. I've been a nurse almost 25 years, and I've never been more proud to be a nurse and more proud to work with the team that I work with, you know, the frontline staff and the leaders of this hospital. When we started with COVID, it, it, we didn't really know, uh, and we didn't know at all what was ahead of us. And I think that looking back to where we started and where we are now, it is a very proud moment. And you talked about it, healthcare heroes. And I don't think it's ever been more true than today. And What I would say is that I'm proud um, to work for this organization. I'm proud to be a registered nurse and I'm confident that we will get through it. I do see a little uh, light at the end of the tunnel and I think it's important for the public and our county and and all surrounding areas to know that our hearts um, and our passion is here and we will continue to build the infrastructure we need to take great care of our patients and our staff. And and we'll all get through it. We've said it from the beginning. We'll all get through it and hopefully be able to go back to (laughs) some normal life and get all our kids back to school. And I think that would be great. (laughs) So Pete, what have you learned and what's your biggest takeaways from the pandemic? Well, I keep telling our staff that we've got this. 
This is a challenge professionally, but we've all trained for this. That's why we became a professional nurse, a medical doctor, a lab technician, a lab scientist. We've, we know what we need to do. We just need to make sure that everyone is supporting each other and working as a team, and we're creating a safe environment in which they feel comfortable and working and doing what they know best. And Carla, as we get close to wrapping up here, I want to give you a last chance here. Anything else we want the community to know about COVID-19, about the vaccine, about staying resilient? Last word here. We've all gone through a lot, and it's been very challenging. It's very difficult to not see your family. And I think just stay the course, I would say. Again, we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, and it's just it's very important that we all do our part and stay vigilant, and we will get through this. Yeah, I think you're so right. We will get through this. We will get through this together. And Pete, you as the CEO, you get the last word. What would you like people to know where you're at, where the system is at, how optimistic they should be about the vaccine? Last word to you, Pete. This year has been tough. And next year we'll start with lots of challenges, but things will get better. We will get through this by working together and supporting each other. Our healthcare workers need your help. I keep urging people to continue being smart and being safe. We should continue to do that. Yeah, here, here. I just want to thank you both for being on. Happy holidays to both of you, and please stay well. Thank you, Scott. You too. Happy holidays to you. Thanks. For up-to-date information on COVID-19, please visit svmh.com slash coronavirus. And we hope you found this podcast to be helpful and informative. This is Ask the Experts from Salinas Valley Memorial Healthcare System. I'm Scott Webb. Stay well, and we'll talk again next time.